All right, well, good morning. Thank you, Pastor Jared. Excited to be here this morning. I do need to start by asking a very serious question. It's gonna tell me a lot about you, really. Are you team Chick-fil-A or team Raising Canes? All right, okay. Now see, this is a tough one because they've both got, you know, their own unique thing going with the chicken. They've got some amazing French fries. They've each got their own sauce. So I put a lot of thought into this. Uh, I mean, my sermon, yes, but this question. And I think if I had to pick, I, I, I think I'm team Chick-fil-A. I think I'm team Chick-fil-A. I know, see, so now you can trust me, right? Because that's good. Uh, what about this doozy of a question? Is a hot dog a sandwich? You're like, no, you crazy lady, it's a hot dog. Like, it's its own thing. But my son Owen pointed out the other day, well, it's meat between two slices of bread. Okay, point taken, fine. Hot dog's a sandwich, all right. Uh, in my family, we like to play this game, or let me correctly say, my children like to play the game, would you rather? where they basically ask and then they give you two options. Now, the way my boys like to play it, number one, both options are terrible. And number two, they always, and I do mean always, involve bodily fluids. <laughs> Mommy, would you rather, with like wide eyes, like they're so fascinated at what I'm gonna say, would you rather eat vomit-covered boogers or your own poop? I'm like, no, there's a line, you crossed it, I'm not playing, I'm not answering that question, that's disgusting. But here's the thing, when we ask questions, we're doing it to get to know somebody, right? People's answers to questions reveal something about who they are. And so today, we are gonna dive into probably the most important question that you could ever be asked, and it's this. Who do you say Jesus is? And we're gonna dive right into scripture this morning and look at a time where Jesus had this conversation where he asked this question of his disciples. Mark 8, 27, it says, and Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. Now I'm gonna stop right there just for a second to provide some context. See, in this area, they worshiped Greek gods. And one in particular for this area was known as Pan. He was the god of the wilderness. And there were a lot of caves around this area. And so people would go to these caves to worship this god Pan. Now by worship, I mean fertility worship. And that's all I'm gonna say about that or the elders are gonna get some emails. But that's what was happening. And then in the back of these caves, I was thought that there was like a portal to hell and this god Pan would travel back and forth through it. He must have been a snowbird. So this is what's happening. Like this is the context of this area that Jesus brings them to. Let's keep reading. It says, on the way he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Who do people say I am? Think of it like if you were asked a question by a pastor at church, as opposed if you were asked a spiritual question by a coworker at a secular work party, right? You might give a little bit of a different answer. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at. He's saying, hey, listen, look where I brought you. Look at the context. Look what's happening here. Look what these people are doing. Don't give me the church answer. I wanna know what these people, what they think of me. And then he takes it one step further. He looks at his disciples and says, you know what? Now I want to know this. What about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. And that's our first point for today. Jesus is the Christ. 
Now here's the thing, names are important. So I just wanna help you out. If you are about to have a baby, or if you are ever possibly thinking of having a baby at any point in the future, let me just help you out for a second. Because sometimes I think people try to be a little too creative with names, right? Like I think of a famous couple that named their children after directions, and I'm just trying to picture how that would work at a park. You know, hey, where's Northwest? No, that's Southeast. No, I meant the kit. What? Like, that's weird. It's, it's confused. I'm confused. You also can do this thing where you really like a name, but you got to think it all the way through, right? You're like, oh, I like the name Paige. It's so cute. It sure is, unless your last name is Turner. Paige Turner. Don't do that to a kid, right? Maybe you like the name Jean. I mean, it's not my favorite. Probably might get your kid made fun of a little bit at school, but not too bad. But if your last name is Poole, Jean Poole, that's a no, right? Maybe you're like, I love the name Chris. So my kid, his first name's gonna be Chris. Second name, Paul. Last name, Bacon. You just named your kid Crispy Bacon. <laughs> no. I had, to, I had to veto two serious doozies from Dave. He wanted to name Owen Willis and Maddox Midas. I was like, that's like a tire company or something. We are not naming our child that. Um, he liked the name Holden for a while, and then I liked Austin, for, and we were like, oh, that's cute. Holden Austin Spear, what's wrong with that? Holden A. Spear? <laughs> like, you gotta think it all the way through, right? Names are important, but here's the thing. Christ is not actually Jesus' last name. I think we think of it that way. It makes sense, Jesus Christ, but it's not his last name. It's actually a title, and it was a title that was given to Jesus for a very specific reason because it has a very specific meaning. The meaning of the title Christ is sent or anointed one. Now, we live in a culture where there are a lot of different thoughts about Jesus, right? For some, he's, he's just a cool bumper sticker. For others, he's a crutch for the weak. For a lot of people, he's a prophet or he's a really nice guy who helped a whole lot of people. And even as Christians, I think we, we kind of fall into this trap where we just kind of make our own version of Jesus because that's our culture. I can walk into just about any restaurant and I can build my own cheeseburger exactly how I want it, right? I can say, I want, I want a lot of lettuce, just a couple tomatoes, lots of ketchup, no mayonnaise. And there you go. I mean, I have a, a, a cheeseburger exactly the way I want it. We do the same thing with Jesus. Hey, you know what? Yeah, that truth is really important. I'll probably just follow that one a little bit. That one, no thank you. Uh, I like that attribute of Jesus, but not that one. And there you go. I've custom built my own version of Jesus. I heard the pastor at Flatiron Church say it this way once. For most of us, the order we place looks something like this. Give me a supersized Jesus. Extra grace, double forgiveness, hold the truth with a big order of don't you make me feel bad about anything I wanna do on the side. Now please hear me that the gracious attributes of God are awesome. And yes, Jesus is full of forgiveness. The problem is when we choose to only focus on one part of his character. See, the title Christ was given to Jesus because he was sent by God with a mission. And that mission wasn't to just always be super sweet, Mr. Nice Guy. That mission was and is to deliver us from our sins. This means that Jesus extends not only undeserved mercy, but also that he has a righteous indignation for the junk in our lives that's gonna pull us away from him and that's gonna hurt other people. Jesus was and is on a mission, and I wonder, how do we view Jesus? 
Are we viewing him like the anointed and promised deliverer who came to deal with the sin in our lives? Are we living on mission with the way scripture asks us to live? Are we just, you know, kind of doing the church thing, chatting up best friend Jesus when we need something, deciding which truths to follow and which truths to forego? Jesus is the Christ. That means he's fully deserving of our absolute 100% all in worship, our repentance, and our purposeful living. Second point for today is this. Jesus is the most influential person who ever lived. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, Caesar occupied a palace while Jesus occupied a cross. But one day that same Christ will rise up and split history into AD and BC so that even the life of Caesar must be dated by the name of Jesus. The greatest grossing movie of all time is Passion of the Christ. The movie that told the story about the life of Jesus. Jesus' teaching was transformative, radically different from his culture, the way he treated women, the way he treated children, the way he said to love your enemies, the way he called people to treat the poor. I mean, there's just no denying the grand and generic influence and teaching of Jesus. But the question I wanna ask today is this, does Jesus really influence you and how you live your life? Because see, when someone influences you, they hold great sway over you. My son Maddox, a few months ago, he became very interested in sports, which is a big deal because up until a few months ago, he was that kid that just wanted to go dig in the backyard for bugs, like all the time. And then he was like, I'm, I, I love sports. And when he gets into something, he's like all in, right? Like he, all he wanted to talk about was basketball and soccer. That's what he wanted to play. That's what he wanted to watch on TV. He actually joined the league. He started playing basketball. Now listen, he thinks he's the next LeBron. And Dave and I are gonna break it to him later, okay? Right now we're just trying to let him, let him have some fun. But he's like, he's going for it. And he goes out and like shoots every afternoon for practice. For, um, he has like this amazing memory. So seriously, after two weeks of loving basketball, he's walking around the house like debating the best players of all time, quoting their stats. I'm like having to Google, is that true? Oh, well, okay. Like just to keep up with him, he decided for Christmas, that's what he wanted. He wanted a few jerseys of his favorite basketball and soccer players. I'm like, okay, that's what we got him. And then all Christmas break, that's like all he wore. But when it's time to go back to school, I was like, hey, listen, buddy, we gotta have a little chit chat here. Cause number one, mommy does not do laundry every single day. Number two, I know we don't live in Wisconsin, you know, but like it's January, it's a little cold outside. Why don't we try putting on a jacket and some pants? I think I used the exact phrasing, put some clothes on and like, let's not have any skin showing. Well, he's a very literal child. So the first day of school, he came out with his jacket on under his basketball jersey. I was like, Maddox, what are you doing? He was like, mom, if I wear my jacket over my jersey, nobody can see my jersey. And I want everyone to see my brand new jersey. Okay. He also put on soccer shorts down to his knees and soccer socks, which he pulled up to his knee so that technically no skin was showing. I was like, Maddox, for crying out loud, just go put some pants on. Pants, pants on, let's go to school. We go to school, I pick him up later that day. He comes out, no pants on. Like, uh, 
what, what, what's going on here? What happened? He's like, well, I went into class and right away my teacher said that we could take off our outer garments that were meant to keep us warm. <laughs> so in my head, I'm trying to picture my child like undressing in the middle of class, just ripping his pants off. Like, listen, guys, there are things when I thought of being a parent, I was like, I know I will have to deal with that. I never thought, never in a million years did I dream that I would ever have to say the words, keep your pants on at school from my lips. But here's the thing. Maddox is like all in. That's what he was thinking about. He didn't care that it was cold. He wanted everybody to know who his favorite player is. He wanted everybody to know that he loves basketball, that he loves the Lakers like his daddy. He looks up to those players like he is all in, 1,000% committed. If you spent one minute, I guarantee it, one minute with that kid right now, you would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that basketball is what he's all about. And I just have to wonder, are we as committed to showing our love for Jesus? Are we as proud? Are we as all in? If people spent five minutes with us, would they know that Jesus and what our lives are all about? Because see, when, if we really let Jesus change our life, when, when we really let him in, when we live according to his teaching, then our lives look radically different than our pre-Jesus life and than our culture. And that is the power of his influence. The second point is this. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. This is from John 14, 6. And I just want you to notice the word the here because our culture doesn't really view it this way. Our culture kind of treats Jesus like he's an option. He's a choice you can make in this religious buffet, but that's not what Jesus says here. He says he's the way. Let's keep reading. Verse seven, it says, if you really know me, this is Jesus, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. I think sometimes we mistakenly think of the Bible as like two different sections, and God's character is revealed differently in the two sections. But, but that's not true. The Bible is actually one continuous, beautifully woven together story of God's people and redemption from start to finish. And so people will say, well, well how can a good God let bad things happen to good people? See, the, the, promise, the problem with that question is the premise. The premise is wrong. We are not good people. We are, are, we are sinful. What God designed, what God set up, what was perfect, was a perfect garden and Adam and Eve in perfect relationship with each other and with nature and with God. But see, in order for relationship to be genuine, where it's not just God controlling puppets on puppet strings or, or pushing buttons on a remote to control humanity, in order for it to be genuine, there has to be choice. It only means something when I tell my husband I love him because I can choose to say it. And by giving us free choice, by giving us free will, humanity chose sin. And sin mucked everything up. And so perhaps a better question is, well, why doesn't God punish us more? Like, why didn't God respond to Adam and Eve choosing sin, basically spitting in his face by, by just flicking them off the face of the planet? But no, God chose grace. God chose love. Right after Adam and Eve's first sin, God made his first promise to send Jesus. His heart has always been to reconcile his people back to himself. 
speaking to Satan in Genesis 3.15, God said, and he will crush your head, meaning Jesus would come to deliver a fatal blow of total defeat to Satan. And he would continue to offer promises of this Christ to come, that he would be a descendant of Abraham, then that he would be a descendant of David. And David himself prophesied that his descendant would sit on the throne forever. There are prophecies about how Jesus would enter Jerusalem triumphant, but then be despised and rejected, pierced for our transgressions. But when we pick up in the New Testament, Jesus was not the Messiah the Jews wanted. They wanted a king who was gonna come in and rise up and overthrow the pagans and rebuild God's temple and bring justice. So on the day of the crucifixion, as Jesus lay dying before them, they probably thought he was yet another in a long line of false messiahs. It's Jesus' resurrection from the dead that's key in determining how first century Christians could maintain their belief that Jesus is the true Davidic king. It proved that the scriptures had been fulfilled. Check out 1 Corinthians 15, 19. It says if Jesus didn't actually and factually raise from the dead, then we Christians are a pitiable lot. The resurrection is key because it validates Jesus as God's son, sent to be a deliverer. He's not just some valiant martyr. He's the Christ, God's chosen one to bring about reconciliation between God and his people. Check out this quote from C.S. Lewis. It says, the son of God became a man to enable men to become the sons of God. It's a radical claim. And it's a difficult one to swallow in our culture of, you know what, you do what's right for you and, and, and I'll do what's right for me. Don't you tell me what's right for me. In our culture of apathy to decide that Jesus is the way. But that's the radical claim that he makes. That's the shocking claim he makes, that we get to decide if we believe is true or not. Who do you say Jesus is? That's the question, because how you answer that question will determine everything else in your life. Honestly, if we don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then what are we doing here? But if we do believe that Jesus is the son of God, that's not something that can just be placed on the back burner of our lives. If Jesus is who he says he is, then he's the way. The way to heaven and the way to live this earthly life. And I think what happens is that in this room, we're like, yeah, totally. Jesus is the way. When we walk out these doors and we go back to the difficult situations of life and temptations come and busyness distracts us, we lose sight a little bit of Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. You know, if I'm being completely honest with you, I've been wrestling in my faith a little bit the last couple months. And I wanna go ahead and apologize in advance because uh, there's some things that, that nobody ever told me about having kids, like that I would never, ever, ever again be able to sneeze without peeing myself a little bit. Nobody ever told me that. I was not prepared. Um, but also, I was never really an emotional person. And now, since having kids, if I try to talk about one of my kids, I'm like a blubbering mess. And so you better believe the Lord and I had some conversations the last couple months that went a little bit like this. I am not sharing on stage. Oh, yes, you are. No, not gonna happen. Oh, yes, you are. So here I am, the Lord won, but I apologize in advance if my emotions get the best of me. But ultimately, 
I'm gonna do it because I believe in being vulnerable um, and being genuine. So let me give you a little bit of backstory. I've shared some of this before. Um, my second son, Maddox, has always had health stuff. From the second he was born, he had health stuff. He had all sorts of digestive stuff. He screamed like the entire first three years of his life. Then he had speech stuff. You would never know it now because now we can't get him to shut up, but he just didn't talk. He had to go to speech therapy for years. He, we, he just couldn't talk. Um, right now we're, we're kind of trying to figure him out a little bit. He's a super bright kid, like super bright, does so well at school. And then uh, he would forget his pants if I didn't put them on him. Like kind of very forgetful, distracted, um, such a great kid. But he has also had vision problems. Um, he's worn glasses since he was a baby. And basically his eyes don't work together. So in order for him to focus and actually be able to see, the brain has to turn off the signal from one or the other eye so that he can, so that he can focus. He has no depth perception, so he can't really see um, if it's near or far, things like that, because his eyes don't work together. The crazy thing about it is that um, it's not actually a super rare problem. It's more that there are some simple solutions that work to treat this problem in about 99% of the cases. Maddox has tried glasses, lots of them. We've tried eye drops. We've tried vision therapy for years. We've tried uh, patching for hours a day for years. We've tried three different surgeries and all to no avail. He is in that like 0.1 of 1% where just nothing has worked. And so at our doctor's appointment in January, the doctor looked at me and he said, listen, you can stop it all. You know, I know Maddox, I know it's been a long road. You can just stop it. You can stop all the different attempts at treatment, but you have to accept that basically what will happen is at least one eye will go blind and the other one, the eye, like the vision will just continue to deteriorate. Or you can try another surgery. I don't really think it's gonna work, but that's kind of the only option left. Well, at the sound of surgery, Maddox jumped into my lap and started crying. You can imagine surgery on the nerves in your eyes is not a very pleasant experience. Um, and I think he lost hope that, that it was gonna work. And, and honestly, like, I kinda wanted to start, to start crying too, right? Like, we have spent probably close to $60,000 on all of these different treatments that we've tried. We have put in hours of time trekking him back and forth across the city. Like, his activity before basketball was vision therapy. We have done everything that any doctor has asked us to do and all to no avail. But I also felt like, I mean, I can't just give up. I can't just accept that he's gonna go blind. So we drove home and Maddox and I had probably the hardest conversation, one of the hardest conversations I've had to have as a parent thus far. Because he's crying and he looked at me and he said, mommy, why won't God just heal my eyes? And I gotta be honest, I didn't have an answer for him in that moment because I wanted to yell out the same question. My like, God, I have prayed longer and harder for Maddox's eyes than just about anything else in my life. And it's getting really difficult to feel like the answer is no and continues to be no. It's pushed my faith. But I love this quote. It says, I believe in the sun even when it isn't shining. Now I believe in love even when I don't feel it. I believe in God, even when he is silent. 
You know who wrote that? It's an anonymous inscription that they found on the wall in a German internment camp. I can only imagine how silent God must have felt. But someone chose faith. And so for these last number of months, I have felt very convicted to remind Maddox why we gave him the middle name of Joshua. Before we ever knew, before he was ever born, we knew that was his middle name. And we have been praying that God would help us to be strong and courageous as we go into another surgery this summer. See, I want Maddox to believe that God is big, that Jesus is a healer, and that he could absolutely perform a miracle on Maddox's eyes. And so we've been praying big prayers like Joshua did when he asked God to make the sun stand still in the sky. But I also want Maddox to know that God has infinite wisdom and that Jesus provides more than just physical healing in this life. He provides spiritual healing for eternity. So maybe Maddox's eyes aren't healed, but we are confident that his eternity is healed. And that might mean that the basketball it stays a little blurry and he's not the next LeBron. But his salvation, his hope, his eternity, that we see so clearly. Amen. And my prayer is today that you would as well. Whatever you're going through in this life, that you would let Jesus be the way. Maybe you've been really struggling with depression. Let Jesus be the way to hope. Maybe there's, there's things going on in, in your family. Let Jesus be the way to peace. Maybe work has been overwhelming or, or there's not enough work to pay the bills. Let Jesus be the way to comfort and provision. Who do you say Jesus is? I can only answer for me, but I'll share my answer with you. Jesus is my purpose. When I feel angry, when I wanna lash out, when there's a part of me that doesn't wanna forgive, that doesn't wanna serve, Jesus is my reason for doing what's right. I believe that he's gifted me and given me dreams and abilities, that my life has so much meaning because it's about more than just worldly pleasures and successes, which are so fulfilling in the short term, but so unfulfilling in the long term. Jesus is my purpose. He's my example. I try to love his church and people like he did. I try to fight for justice like Jesus did. He's my example. He's my comforter. He was there for me when I, when I cried myself to sleep after the loss of my unborn child. He was there when my brother had cancer when my baby was really sick, when I felt torn between career choices, when I have struggled as a wife, as a mom, as a pastor, as a friend, Jesus has provided peace that surpasses understanding and joy to see beyond. He's my comforter. He's my Lord. 
everything that I do and say, I try to have honor him. And when I make a misstep, the Holy Spirit is constantly bringing me back to a point of surrender and correction. So my character and any perceived successes in my life are because my life is surrendered to Jesus. He's my savior and the supplier of grace that I need. I know from my own life, I am not a good person. I am capable of good decisions. Yes, but at my core, I am sinful. We all are, and we need to be reconciled back to our heavenly father who loves us. And the solution he provided is Jesus. I know without Jesus, my life would lack hope and joy, and I would be separated from God for all eternity. Jesus is my savior. He's the Christ, the son of God. Who do you say Jesus is? I wanna read from Philippians. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love, any fellowship in the spirit, any affection or mercy, complete my joy and be of the same mind by having the same love, being united in spirit and having one purpose. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should in humility be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Each of you should be concerned, not only about your own interests, but about the interests of others as well. You should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had, who though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave, by looking like other men, and by sharing in human nature. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And as a result, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Parents don't typically buy toys so that like their kids will have, sorry, let me say that. Parents don't usually decide to have kids so there will be someone to play with the toys. It's not like, a, hey, hey, look, we have all these toys. They're just laying around useless. Maybe we should have a child. You decide to have a child and then you buy all the toys and all the things needed to take care of the child, to provide for the child. In other words, God didn't create humanity so there would be someone to follow his rules. He created humanity, loves humanity, and then provided us with instructions and guidance for our good and for our benefit and to provide and to protect us. So if we believe that Jesus is the radical claim that he made, that he is the son of God sent to reconcile us back to our father in heaven, then we have to believe that the instructions of God, the example that Jesus set when he walked this earth, that's how we should live our lives. And we have to submit accordingly. And so for the last time today, I ask you this question, who do you say Jesus is? And does your life, does it really reflect that Jesus is the son of God? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just are still in this moment. God, we give it to you. We surrender. 
our hearts and our minds are open, God, in this moment for you to work, for us to acknowledge the truth that you sent your son, that he is the son of God sent to be our Messiah, our deliverer, because we are sinful, God, and so we are so thankful, so full of gratitude in this moment that you sent your son to be our savior. God, that you provide hope and healing and purpose and comfort and wisdom. And we just ask for it in this moment, God, as we sit still before you. I pray that today we would be convicted and encouraged to live lives of gratitude for who you are, to live our lives proud and bold, God, to show our love for you, to let you really influence the way that we live our lives, God. So this morning we surrender. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm gonna invite you for the next couple of minutes just to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. So I believe God's speaking to many of you in the room today. Online, the same. Turn off every distraction. Because some of you can't really answer the question or you have a different answer. But here it is. Again, is, is Jesus the Lord of your life? Has there been a moment when you've given him complete control? And some of you could say yes. Others of you could say, Pastor, I've been going my own way. I've been doing my own thing, trying to manipulate force. But today, in the quietness of this moment, you know you need to give your life completely to God. He's not mad at you today. In fact, he loves you. And what you're sensing is the voice of kindness that's drawing you to repentance. And some of you, that's exactly what you need to do, to humble yourself and give God complete control. So if that's you, you would say, Pastor, today I need to make him the Lord of my life. Just like in the first service, pray a prayer like this. Put it in your own words, but mean it in your heart. Start it off by saying, today, God, I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry for going my own way. I'm sorry for keeping you at a distance. I'm sorry for trying to control things and my own strength, my own power. Just tell him that. Say, but today, God, as simply as I know how, I give my life completely to you. I make you the Lord of my life. I receive all that you've done for me, that you love me and you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. And today I receive forgiveness, grace, mercy. In response, I give you back my life. Oh, tell him that. The Holy Spirit, I thank you for every person who's praying a prayer like that right now. Some, that might be the first time they've ever prayed a prayer like that. Others, it might be a recommitment, but Lord, you know right where they are. And so we just say, thank you. Thank you for saving people. Thank you for this incredible message that we heard today, God. And I pray now that the people of God, that we'll apply the word of God to our life and we will live that you that like you really are the son of God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray this prayer. Amen and amen. Hey, church, would you celebrate with me those who just said yes to Jesus? Isn't that awesome? First service and in the room, man, if you prayed that prayer, take a moment and fill out the connection card that we've talked a lot about. Just check the box. I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm recommitting my life to Christ. Offering boxes are in the back. Our prayer team will be down front. Um, we'd love to know that. And it's the same uh, hassle-free guarantee. Um, we're just simply gonna give you some clear next steps um, of what to do with your faith in Jesus. And we have a thing around here that we call the growth track. It's a two-step process. 
So next Sunday um, is the first Sunday of April, and we will kick off the growth track for step one again. So come to the first service and then go right out into the lobby. Our team will answer all the questions that you have. And next Sunday, you can take your next step through the growth track right here at Trinity Church, and we're excited about that. And also, before we send you out, church, um, it's our opportunity right now to worship the Lord through our giving. Aren't you excited to do that today? Online, boxes in the back, through the app, however you give. Thank you for your amazing and your continued generosity. You guys are absolutely, absolutely incredible. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet all over the room. Don't forget as you leave, to grab some invite cards for Easter. Um, be praying about who you can be inviting. Um, it's gonna be an incredible, incredible time together. And if you are a guest, I'll be down front for just a few moments. I'd love to, to meet you. And if you do need prayer for any reason, our prayer team will be here to pray with you and here to pray for you. And one more time, church, can we thank God for that incredible message from Pastor Julie today? Awesome, thank you, it was amazing. All right, let me pray a blessing over you. God, I thank you for these amazing people the amazing people of Trinity Church in the room and online. And I pray, Lord, that your peace and your favor and your grace and your mercy will fall fresh on us today. And I pray that we'll have the best, the very best Sunday we've ever had. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, I love you. Keep coming back. We'll see you next weekend. God bless you.